Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up pilots and future pilots this is the audio ground school podcast thank you for joining me my name is nick smith founder creator of part-time pilot this is episode number 19 of the audio ground school podcast and we are going to continue section five on weather theory charts and information all things weather that a pilot needs to know of the online ground school so if you're in the online ground school and you want to follow along you want to see the visual aids watch the videos and do the quizzes you can go and check that out it's going to be in step two so your course is going to be step two online ground school lessons and videos and so you want to go to that step two course you want to go to section five on weather theory charts and information and then this episode is going to be starting at lesson five of that section five so we'll start lesson five fog we might get to lesson six frost and ice we probably will and we might even get to lesson seven on dew point the last episode episode 18 we covered air masses and weather systems thunderstorms wind shear and temperature inversions. so that air masses and weather systems gave us a good understanding of the sort of global macro level view of weather systems, which is very important for a pilot to understand so if you missed that one go back and check that out and then also some more important topics on thunderstorms wind shear and temperature inversions, all hazardous weather to a pilot that is very important to know so go check that out if you haven't and i do have a a couple things i just want to to talk about if you want to just get straight to the audio ground school content go ahead and fast forward i don't care i had someone comment on my youtube really upset that i made announcements at the beginning of my episodes and i just didn't simply give them the audio ground school content and so if that person's listening just take a deep breath and relax and just realize that i'm giving away my online ground school for free in audio format to you so i think i'm allowed to maybe have a few announcements before the podcast plus there are some people that can benefit from these announcements, might be interested in these announcements. You know, I talk about discount codes and I talk about ways in which to help you guys on your journey to become a pilot. So it's all with you guys in mind, but go ahead and fast forward if you want to. So the announcement or, or topic that I, I want to talk about today before we get into the lessons is actually really, really quick. It's just about the ultimate private pilot test prep book as of the time when I'm recording this we just launched it last week and I just want to say thank you everybody for your support it went the launch of the book went extremely well people are really loving you know the the full 
full learning experience that you get from this book. It's not just the, you know, the FAA questions and answers like you would get on most test prep books. There's visual aids, QR codes to downloads and videos and all that stuff. And I thought you guys would like it. And turns out you guys are loving it. So thank you for anyone that went and purchased that. If you haven't yet and you're interested, it's it's the perfect thing to have a physical version of our ground school content. You know, I am someone who likes to have that physical. So when I'm on a plane or traveling or even just going to like a coffee shop or something to the beach, I can have that physical thing to read and write and take notes on. And it's perfect for making that final push that test preps are good for, test prep books are good for, for your FA written exam. So I'll put a, a link in the show notes for that. But I just want to say thank you for everybody. We're number one bestseller on Amazon in the pilot and flight training category. And so thank you guys for that. And again, if you want to check that out, I'll put a link in the show notes. It also comes with a free PDF version of it and three free practice tests if you use the, the coupon code in the back of the book. All right, so let's get to our lessons. Okay, so let's get to it. <clears throat> Lesson five of section five of the online ground school on fog. Let's 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 go. All right, so fog is just a low-level cloud. Fog is a dangerous condition to a pilot due to the lack of visibility and chances for turbulence and icing. There are five main types of fog: radiation fog advection fog, upslope fog, evaporation fog, and ice fog. For each of these to form, three conditions must be present in the atmosphere. Condition number one, particles in the air for moisture to attach itself to. This is, this is often called condensation nuclei, such as dust, dirt, or pollen. Air, uh, condition number two, air must have enough water in it. The temperature dew point spread is low enough such that the water vapor is condensing into water molecules that can attach themselves to the condensation nuclei. So number three is low winds. If there are too strong of winds, the air and water molecules will not settle and the fog layer will lift off the surface. If there is no wind at all, then there is likely a lack of condensation nuclei in the air. So you can't have no wind at all, right? Because there's there, there won't be that condensation nuclei. There won't be the, the dirt, dust, pollen that the, the water can condense onto. And you can't have too strong of wind because it'll just blow the, the, the low-level clouds that fog really is. It'll just blow them away. So again, you have to have particles in the air for the moisture to attach itself to. You have to have a low enough dew point or temperature dew point spread such that you you reach that dew point and the water condenses onto the condensation nuclei, the dust, dirt, pollen, or whatever. And then you have to have the right amount of wind, not too, you know, it's like the Goldilocks wind. Not too low and not too high, but just right amount of wind for, that's the perfect conditions for fog to occur. All right, so let's go over the, the big ones here. And I'll kind of mention... Again, like I always do, the parts that you want to remember for the FA written exam. They don't test you too much on fog, but there are a few questions that you might see on fog. All right, so the first one is radiation or ground fog. Radiation or ground fog is most prevalent in the cooler nights of the fall and winter months. The situation most conductive 
or conducive to radiation fog is warm, moist air over low, flatland areas on clear and calm nights. I'm going to repeat that because this is an FA written question. The situation most conducive to radiation fog, so the conditions that would most likely create radiation fog, is warm, moist air over low, flatland areas on clear, calm nights. Ground and air near the surface is warmed by the sun during the, the day and then cooled at night as the heat radiates into the upper atmosphere. If this radiation is enough, the air will become saturated, meaning the temperature will meet the dew point and fog will form. Radiation fog will begin near the surface and continue to extend upwards as the warmth from the radiation lifts higher and higher out of the way, allowing air at higher levels to reach its saturation point. So I have a little figure here that kind of shows little red radiation lines and so and then it shows the formation of that radiation fog. The surface and air near the, the surface are heated by the sun during the day. At night the surface and low air, the low air near the surface radiates its heat into the upper atmosphere and we kind of have red little squigglies that show that. If the surface and air radiate enough heat to the atmosphere, the air temperature that's low to the ground will lower because its air has its heat has radiated up to the upper atmosphere, so it's losing its heat and its temperature will drop and it will reach the dew point and become saturated, forming fog near the surface. So when you become saturated, that's when the water condenses onto those condensation nuclei. So that's again what the the stuff we talked about that needs to happen. And then radiation of heat continues above the fog and in, will increase its vertical height. So if you continue to get enough radiation, the, the heat is basically just going to keep going to the upper atmosphere, radiating out and cooling the air near the surface. And then that cool air will get higher and higher above the surface. And then you continue to reach the dew point at higher and higher levels. And that'll just the fog will just grow, grow, and grow. You, you can look at like time lapses of like certain areas and just type in radiation fog time lapse to get a good visual of this. All right, the next fog is advection fog. Unlike radiation fog, advection fog can occur when it is windy. The word advection means a horizontal movement of air. So in terms of fog, this means fog from air that moves in, in horizontally over an area. Advection fog occurs when warmer and moister air travels via winds over an area that is cooler and drier. I'm going to repeat that because this might be on your test. Advection fog occurs when warmer and moister air travels via winds over an area that is cooler and drier. As the warmer and moister air moves into the region of cool air, it cools and the moisture condenses to form fog. Once winds reach above about 15 knots, the evection fog is lifted from the surface into low-level stratus clouds. So again, we talk about that Goldilocks zone for winds. Evection fog needs winds to occur to bring in that, that warm air that's, you know, warm air into that cool dry area and then it condenses that's made by winds but the winds can't be above 15 knots 
if it gets above about 15 knots, then it's lifted from the surface and it develops into stratus, low-level stratus-type clouds. Advection fog is likely to be seen near the coast. That might be another thing you want to remember about advection fog, is that it's likely to be seen near the coast when you get those sort of light sea breezes that bring in different masses of air. Advection fog can occur from winds blowing inland and pushing moist air over land that is cooler than the water. So land cools and warms faster than water, so this is likely that the air above land that is next to a body of water is actually cooler than the air above the water. So what I'm trying to say here is as it gets towards the night, the, the land cools faster. So it's going to radiate that heat off and it's going to cool get colder faster than the, the water. And same thing with the air right above the water and the land. It goes with it. So as the land cools, the air right above it cools. And then you get the situation where the air right above, right over land is cooler than the air right above the water. So then as that sea breeze blows in that air, that air from over the water is actually warmer and it's coming into that air above the land, which is now colder. So that's the situation for advection fog. So when that breeze blows moist air, and it's going to be moist air because it's, again, air above water, from over a body of water inland over a landmass, the moist air is cooled and condenses into fog. The opposite can also occur at the coast during daytime when land is warmer than water because, again, it's heated from the sun. You get that mismatch of land being hotter or colder than water because, again, land heats and cools at a faster rate than water does. So you can get the opposite. You can get land and the air above it hotter than water and the air above water. And this happens like during the daytime at the coast. So when the, during the day, when the land is warmer than the water from the sun, again, the warm, moist air from over the land mass is blown over cooler air above the body of water. The air will then cool and condense to form fog, like in the image we have in the online ground school. So if you ever see during the day, it's a sunny day and you're on the coast, you might see that there's just a bunch of clouds on the coast but it's almost like it's a wall and it's not coming low level clouds a wall that's just not coming inland it's sort of just staying out there that's pretty much the effect of avection fog and i see that all the time in san diego and then at night as it cools right as the land and the air above the land cools faster it gets to a temperature that's cooler than the water and the air above it and that causes a breeze and it brings that warm air in and the opposite happens and so it brings that evection fog into the land. So again, the image we have in the online ground school, it's it's got the earth and it's got the water and it's got fog above the water. So it was the second situation we talked about. And you, we have an arrow that shows the temperature gradient of the air. So it goes from red to like a light blue. So earth and warmer air above it is blown by a light breeze, five to 15 knots over water and cooler air. The warm air is cooled above the water, so as it enters above the water, it cools and is easily saturated with water vapor, causing the formation of advection fog. The next one I want to talk about is upslope fog. 
Upslope fog forms when warmer, moister, and stable air is forced up sloping terrain to areas of cooler air. So starting to see some similarities in these first three fogs. It always starts with warmer, moister air moving into cold air, right? And then it condenses. So here, upslope fog, what I want you to remember is fog is that warmer, moister air uh, flowing up a hill or some some type of terrain that upslopes so it forces the air to rise in elevation because the only way it just can't, it can't go through the hill or the mountain or whatever it has to go up it so it rises into areas of cooler air when the warmer moister air moves into the high areas of cool air it cools and the water vapor within it condenses to form fog upslope fog only occurs when air is pushed up sloping terrain via winds Flying at low levels near rising terrain should, you know, that's a no-brainer, should be avoided regardless of the existence of fog. But once you throw fog into there and bad visibility, that's even more dangerous. But with upslope fog, it can actually form a considerable distance away from the peak or slope of the terrain and cause low visibility conditions at these distances from the peak or slope. So it might not be just right on the actual peak, you know, the air the air starts to rise and it kind of propagates backwards and that air can rise well before that upslope where you might expect you might expect that fog to form right at the at the base of the, the hill or mountain, but it can actually form much sooner than that. So just be on the lookout for that. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is evaporation fog. There are two types of evaporation fog steam and frontal steam fog occurs when warm water from a lake or ocean evaporate evaporates into the cool or cold air above it so again steam fog let's let's remember that line forms when warm water from a lake or ocean evaporates into the cold air above it when enough water evaporates it saturates the air above it and fog is formed because of the rising and moist air a pilot should be on alert for low-level turbulence from that rising air and freezing conditions because there's moisture in the cool air and especially if you're using that float type carburetor and getting you can get carb ice in those conditions because of the added moisture in the air so when i think of steam fog i like to think of me boiling a pot of water and as that it boils you sort to see that smoke coming up now, it's not quite the same thing, but if you were to have really cold air above it, it would form above the, the warm water, it would form a lot of condensation. So that's kind of how I like to think of steam air. You got the warm air below it, or sorry, you got the warm water, and then above it, you got cool air. So it, it all that moist air coming up into that cool air from the lake or whatever body of water, condenses right above that body of water and that is steam fog uh, and we have a visual of this in the online ground school so go take a look at that it's just sort of simple radiation from that warm body of water up into the cool air and forming fog the other one frontal fog occurs in frontal zones when rain from warm air masses falls into cooler and drier air below such that the raindrops are evaporated into water vapor. 
So that's a lot to think about, so we'll repeat that. So remember a frontal zone. So we talked about fronts in the last episode. If you missed that, go check that out. So frontal fog occurs in frontal zones when rain from warm air masses, so that would be like maybe a warm front coming in, right? And we have rain from a warm air mass falling into cooler and drier air below. So remember we talked about a warm front. When it collides with that cold front, it goes up and above the cold front, okay? Because the colder air is more dense, so it'll stay near the surface. So the warm air slides up and over it. So you have warm air up top, and that usually creates some sort of stratus clouds. So let's say that happens, and then it starts to rain. Now, in those clouds, it's warm, and then the rain, when it rains down to the surface, it goes into that cold air mass below it. So that's what we're talking about here. So frontal fog occurs in frontal zones when rain from warm air masses falls into cooler and drier air below, like we just talked about, such that the raindrops are evaporated into water vapor. If it continues to rain, the cool air continues to add water vapor until it becomes saturated and the water vapor condenses once again into fog. So as the warm air falls down, it act into the cool dry air if it's enough temperature difference it can evaporate and now it's not no longer droplets it's now water vapor in the air so we don't see it it's not condensed into droplets it's evaporated into vapor but it's still out there right it's still the molecule water molecules are still in the air they're just not clinging together creating droplets that we can see so it's still there and if it continues to rain that water vapor starts to build up and build up near the surface where it's being evaporated. And then it's almost like the circle of life as it continues to build up and build up. Now it becomes oversaturated. There's too many water molecules in that air. And now it starts to clump together into droplets and it forms fog near the surface. And we show this in a picture in the online ground school again. And remember, if you want to go review that warm air mass, the warm front that we talked about and how that slides up and above a cold air mass, go check that out uh, in the last episode or in the online ground school. That was the first section, first lesson of this section on weather. So go check that out. You can get those visual aids. So you can really see what we're talking about here. So that's frontal fog and those. So we had frontal fog and steam fog. Those are both types of evaporation fog because they're, they're both using the idea of evaporation, evaporation, where enough evaporating happens that then you get too much water vapor in an area and then it recondenses into fog. All right, now the last fog that I wanna talk about is ice fog. Ice fog is a fog that consists of frozen ice crystals rather than water, so ice fog is a fog that consists of frozen ice crystals rather than water. It occurs only in areas where it is cold enough for the water molecules within the air to freeze. Usually water droplets exist in liquid form unless they have a surface to freeze onto. If the temperature is cold enough, like 10 degrees C or below, the droplets can freeze suspended in the air. That's pretty crazy to think about and this fog is actually, actually kind of rare. Um, but it, it does exist. I, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Maybe I have. 
But ice fog is especially dangerous because in conditions close to or at the conditions necessary for ice fog, there's a high chance of water droplets freezing onto the surface of the aircraft. So you probably won't ever be flying in ice fog, and it's definitely not advisable to do so. And then the icing on wings can disrupt the flow of air over the wings and control surface, causing unstable and dangerous flight, which is actually what we're going to get to in the next lesson on frost and ice. So ice fog is a good transition to the next lesson, which we will get to now. But before, before we do that, I just want to reiterate what ice fog is because I said it sort of quickly. But so usually water droplets exist in liquid form, right? But if it's cold enough, the droplets can actually freeze suspended in the air. So it's, it's the same sort of fog. You get the condensation on all the things we talked about, right? You have the, the condensation nuclei, like dust or something. So you get these water droplets condensating on there, uh, the, the water molecules bunching together to form a big enough droplet. But if it's cold enough, those droplets can actually freeze. And if they're small enough and cold enough, they can stay suspended in the air and that's called ice fog. So again, definitely don't want to fly through this. Probably don't even want to be in this because that sounds pretty chilly to me. So let's move on with the next lesson. But before we do, I just want to take a quick break to give you an announcement that a lot of you will be interested in because it helps you save money. Hey, what's up, future pilots? Do you still rent or borrow your aviation headset from your flight school? I remember when I was a student pilot, I definitely borrowed for over a full year from my flight school before I was gifted my own set. But flying in Southern California, I can tell you right now that every student who borrowed those headsets was just filling those ear pads with sweat and grime every single time. And every single time I put on those headsets, I thought about that. And in fact, there was quite often when those headsets would stop working because they had so much use by so many different students. So it was kind of an inconvenience before I had my own set of headsets. But at the time, like it makes sense because I wasn't willing to fork over 500 to to $1,000 for a headset. You know, I wasn't willing to give up. That's like four to six flight lessons. So I couldn't afford that for a quality pair of headsets. Well, with Core Aviation, you can get a quality, durable, and good-looking headset for less than $200 or even $100. So I heard of Core from a friend and had to try them out myself. I'm always on the lookout for ways that my students can save money while still getting a quality product. So I went out and I bought a set of KA-1 Core headsets for my own and was amazed at the similarities in comfort and audio quality that they had with my Bose headsets or the David Clark models that I had borrowed from the flight school. So this Core KA-1 headset, let me just tell you some of the things that comes with this headset at the low price of under $200. It's got five-year manufacturer warranty service in the U.S., High-density acoustic foam ear cups with best-in-class passive noise attenuation, up to 50% higher industry standard passive noise reduction rating of 24 dB, ultra-soft silicone gel ear seals that allow your ears to breathe so they don't get super sweaty up there, dual-volume controls for quick adjustments in each ear, electric noise-canceling flex-boom microphone for quiet communication, 
gold-plated plugs for best connection and corrosion resistance and to limit the amount of times you have calm issues while you're up there flying very very important and it even has a three and a half millimeter audio port for ios android mp3 compatibility if that's something you want to do and the best part is that the ones i got are still going strong after three years of continuous use and sometimes i give my passengers my bose ones and i use the core aviation ones so to all, everyone that's listening that wants your own headset and wants to you know be that official pilot and not borrow those sweaty rental headsets at your flight school go check out core aviation at coreheadset.com and this is core with a k so that's k o r e headset.com or k o r e h e a d s e t.com and then use the coupon code here's the even cooler part coupon code part-time pilot to get 10% off so you guys know how to spell part-time pilot that's no spaces p a r t t i m e p i l OT part-time pilot no spaces use that coupon code you'll get 10% off and right now core aviation is doing a sale and they have no shipping cost so you, shipping is free so that means you can get their p1 general aviation headsets which are like normally $120 you can get the and now they're like 109 on sale for 109 you get free shipping and then you get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code part-time pilot so you can get your own headset that I that has comes highly recommended by myself for less than a hundred dollars. So, Core is a great, great new company, and they are awesome first headset for students. So go check it out, and they also look pretty cool, I think, and they're comfortable. So go check those out again. It's CoreHeadset.com. Core with a K. Use coupon code Part Time Pilot. Frost is different from ice in that rather than large frozen droplets of water that make up ice, frost is just small ice crystals that form on the ground or the surface of something, like your car or your aircraft. But does that mean that frost is not as dangerous as ice? Not so much. Experienced pilots are well aware of the hazards of frost and make sure to defrost their aircraft windows, control surfaces, wings, tail, rudder, and fuselage before any flight. So this happened to me a lot when I was flying in Seattle because obviously it's colder and this is why people you know have aircraft hangers to keep their aircraft warm overnight so they doesn't collect frost there's even heated hangers in some parts of the country you know where it gets really cold and there's also like lubricants and sprays that you can put on your aircraft to get rid of the frost or keep it from frosting and then finally, what we did in Seattle is we just pulled it out into the sun and waited. <laughs> we used the, the power of the sun to melt our frost, and sometimes that took a while. Even happened a few times here in San Diego, not a lot, but a couple times I remember in San Diego having to wait for the frost to get off our aircraft. Uh, frost forms near the surface primarily in clear, stable, low wind conditions when the temperature of the collecting surface is at or below the dew point of the adjacent air and that dew point is below freezing, either zero degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's a lot, and it's bolded in the online ground school, and when it's bolded in the online ground school, that means it's something that you should remember, because it's probably gonna be asked about either on your check ride or the FAA written exam. And so 
that was a lot so i'm gonna kind of break it down a little bit more for you so frost forms near the surface primarily in clear stable low wind conditions so think clear state low no wind right clear and stable conditions when the temperature of the collecting surface is at or below the dew point of the adjacent air so the collecting surface in this case is that we care about is your aircraft so when that surface that metal surface of the outside skin of your aircraft when that is at or below the dew point of the adjacent air and that dew point is below freezing so that means the temperature of your aircraft metal and the dew point are both below freezing and then the temperature of your aircraft surface is below at or below the dew point then frost can form and let's say the dew point is minus 10 degrees and let's say the surface temperature of your aircraft is minus 12 degrees now the surface temperature is below the dew point and both the dew point and the surface temperature of your aircraft is below freezing which would be zero degrees c so that is a condition for frost to form and again you want it to be clear stable low wind conditions while frost does not change the basic aerodynamic shape of any lifting surfaces or your wing it does introduce roughness into the picture without frost the painted metal of a wing tail or rudder is designed to be as smooth as possible to keep the flow of the air attached across the surface so as you're flying through the air that air wants to flow right over the top of your smoothly painted aircraft surface and we'll get to this in aerodynamics in in the lessons on aerodynamics you'll understand a lot more when i say attached and stuff like that but just think as the air is flowing over you want it to be as close to that wing as possible that's what we call staying attached and when your aircraft is surface is smoother the more chances it will stay attached so that's why you know aircraft surfaces are painted very smoothly and they have that very smooth to the touch feel because it helps keep the air attached and that helps with lift in your aircraft and let we need lift to fly without frost again i'll just repeat this the painted middle of a wing tail or rudder is designed to be as smooth as possible to keep the flow of air attached across the surface again for maximum lifting capabilities but with frost this smooth surface is no more and instead the surface is rougher this roughness spoils can spoil the smooth air the smooth airflow over the surface when this happens that air can actually become detached it gets turbulent what they call turbulent over the, the air so it's not these nice smooth streamlines going over your wing it gets disrupted and it's turbulent it starts doing some vortices and things like that when you have a rough wing or control surface so again it spoils that smooth flow of air over the surface this added friction roughness slows the flow of air and causes early separation and again we'll talk about if you don't understand what early separation means again that means it's no longer attached it's no longer those smooth streamlines over the wing and so okay so so what it's not attached so we don't have smooth streamlines what does that mean to us well that increases the drag and greatly reduces the lifting capabilities of the wing so we're being drugged down by drag and we're not producing enough lift when our surface is rough and it's disrupting the airflow this is bad for aerodynamics and flight flight performance 
A heavy layer of frost over the wings can increase the stall speed by 5 to 10%. So stall speed is the speed, and again, we'll get to this, but it's the speed at which your aircraft will stall in a given configuration. So when that increases, that means you can't, it, it's more dangerous. It's getting closer to your, you know, your approach speeds, your flare speeds, stuff like that. When that stall speed increases, that means you can stall at higher speeds, which is more, more dangerous and something that we don't want. We don't want to stall. Stall is when you lose lift and start to drop out of the air, essentially. We'll get more technical and, and have a, a more precise definition of stall when we get to that lesson. But just I just want to give you sort of a quick uh, description of what a stall is. So that stall speed, that speed at which that happens where you lose lift and can drop out of the sky pretty much, increases and we don't want that we want that to be as low as possible to stay away from the speeds that we f normally fly at so a heavy layer of frost over the wings can increase the stall speed by five to ten percent so that's that's quite a bit when you're talking about 50 to 60 knots you know 10 percent of 60 knots is six knots so that can change your stall speed from 60 knots to 66 knots and if you normally fly into your final approach at say 67 knots now you're really close to your stall speed and you can stall if you have that a heavy layer of frost over your wings it will all that layer of frost will also prevent the aircraft from becoming airborne at normal takeoff speeds so again it disrupts the lift so at low speeds when you let's say your rotate speed you normally rotate at let's say 55 knots that's the speed your aircraft needs to have enough lift to lift off the ground if you have a bunch of frost that speed is going to increase as well because he, at that low speed of 55 you're not producing enough lift because the frost is disrupting the flow so you won't be able to lift off and what does that mean that means longer takeoffs you'll need longer runways so if you're taking off from a shorter runway that's something you got to think of and that is could be a dangerous situation if you have a short runway all right so that is frost next up let's talk about ice and aircraft icing in order for structural icing to occur so that's ice forming on any sort of structure like your aircraft for in order for that to occur the air temperature needs to be zero degrees celsius or colder or 32 degrees fahrenheit or colder so it needs to be below the freezing point and in the presence of visible moisture in the form of supercooled liquid water droplets or freezing rain freezing rain is sort of like wet snowflakes and then what super cool liquid water droplets mean is water droplets that are very, very cold, close to the point of freezing temperature. However, if the air temperature is above zero degrees Celsius, so it's above the freezing point of water, but the surface of the aircraft remains below the freezing point, zero degrees Celsius, then icing is still possible. Freezing rain prevents presents the most likely scenario for structural icing to occur because of its low temperature and large size of droplets. The larger the droplets, the greater the catch rate of the droplets onto the aircraft surface. So I want to repeat that, that freezing rain presents the most likely scenario for structural icing. So 
the freezing rain might not be you can get freezing rain even if the air temperature is not below the freezing point of water right it's not below freezing of zero degrees celsius or 32 degrees fahrenheit but if your aircraft the cold metal on your aircraft is below that and you get freezing rain which are these big kind of fat droplets landing on your cold aircraft surface that's below freezing it will immediately freeze and start to build up as that those big blobs of water those cold cold big blobs of water hit your cold aircraft that continues to to land on your aircraft and and build up and freeze and you can get considerable structural ice buildup in that situation ice collects on aircraft lifting surfaces and significantly affects the function of the surfaces as well as the propeller blades radio antennas pedo ports static ports carburetors and air inlets so it's not just the wings that you got to worry about so remember you might be thinking well we just talked about frost and if a thin layer of just frost it's not even really changing the shape of the wing if that can affect lift then holy cow a bunch of ice stuck on our wing can definitely affect lift and you're you're 100 right but it also affects other things like what about the propeller blades you get ice on those things and now you produce less thrust because the propeller blades which we'll get to are simply just little wings that are tilted on a different plane you know reference plane so they're creating lift but in a different direction which is thrust and so if you have ice on that again that that smooth flow of air over those propeller blades is also going to be disrupted because of ice you know things like antennas right you might not be able to get your radio knot might work if the, your antennas are covered in ice pedal ports might become clogged you might not that means your instruments like the altimeter the airspeed indicator the vsi will become clogged with ice and not work so there's many many things not just lift which is super serious but there's many many things that can be affected by ice and some things might you know some surfaces might be cooler that antenna or that pedal port might be a little bit colder for some reason if you don't you know if you don't use the pedo heat or or something and it might actually freeze first so you might to see signs of icing structural icing by some of these systems going down like if your radio stops working your vrs are are being spotty or you lose you know part of your pedostatic system like maybe you lose your your airspeed indicator you might think okay well maybe my pedostatic port is clogged and if it's cold out and you might have some freezing rain you, you want to think oh maybe it's icing and maybe i need to get the hell out of here and get down so thin leading edges on antennas horizontal stabilizers and landing gear struts those are the first surfaces to see structural ice form so i, I mentioned that hey you know maybe it's the, the pedal port it could be that thin leading edge of the pedal port as well or it could be an antenna but those thin leading edges are the first place for them to form and that's just you know by design the the, the thin parts of the metal are going to be sort of where the ice collects and, and where it will be the coolest and wings are usually one of the last places structural icing will form and that's a good thing but it's still something and what the, what does this tell us it means that we need to be looking out for it on these areas like the antennas horizontal stabilizers and landing gear struts first because those are going to give us a heads up that hey 
we next up is our wings freezing and we definitely don't want that to happen icing on the propeller is indicated by a slow loss of power and engine roughness i'll repeat that icing on the propeller is indicated by a slow loss of power and engine roughness once uh, enough ice unevenly forming on the blades can cause massive vibrations caused by the imbalance that may lead to engine failure so if you get one propeller that has this big you know glob of ice on the end that not only is the weight going to be off but the we talked about the flow of air over that propeller is going to be off and that's going to cause an imbalance on the propeller and as it's spinning it's going to cause huge major vibrations that can destroy your propeller destroy your engine and be very very dangerous if the propeller is seeing ice then the wings are likely seeing ice as well wing ice is even more dangerous because it changes the aerodynamic shape of the wing which completely changes the lifting capabilities of the aircraft we'll talk about this when we get to lift but the cross-sectional shape of your wing called the airfoil is what determines your lift in a given with a given speed and, and density of air and that cross-sectional airfoil shape can be completely changed and ruined to its you know optimal form that was designed by the aircraft manufacturer that's all gone when structural ice because now that the whole shape has been changed by the ice and it's probably for the worse right it's not going the ice isn't going to form and make your lifting capabilities better you know the aircraft manufacturers design that cross-sectional air airfoil to be as good as possible so anything added to that isn't going to make it better it's going to be for the worse icing can cause separation of flow like we talked about which causes less lift and more drag but then remember it also causes higher stall speeds and the lack of control of, of control surface effectiveness so what does that mean well if you you know put in a left bank and your ailerons deflect they'll get what's called kind of mushy and they won't work as well because that flow of air is no longer attached and it's no so you don't have that smooth streamline of air going all the way to the back of your wing where your control surfaces are so when your control surfaces move they're not hitting that smooth airflow and 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 causing a reaction of that air which causes you the aircraft to react and for you to turn that's how it works right that aileron goes up into the the airflow and then you have the opposite reaction of it pushing the wing down but if that airflow is disrupted it's all turbulent and stuff because of this ice that aileron isn't gonna it's not gonna hit that smooth airflow and it's not gonna have much of an effect it's gonna have way less of an effect when you have this structural icing so i mean that sounds scary right less lift higher stall speeds more drag and you can't even turn left or right as well so that is, it's extremely dangerous again icing increases drag decreases lift reduces thrust and increases weight right you're adding water to your aircraft all over the place if it gets really bad so it's actually going to add weight just everything about ice is bad so we want to avoid it at all costs those are all negatives when it comes to aircraft performance all in all, icing and frost are both extremely dangerous conditions to a pilot. Frost on the aircraft in the morning can be avoided by letting the aircraft heat up in the sun, as we talked about, or a heated hangar, something like that. 
However, a pilot must be aware of the freezing level and icing conditions that they plan to fly in and then completely avoid those icing conditions at all costs. All right, that has been the lesson on frost and ice. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you guys got some good information from that. You learned something. I think we're going to end the episode here because I think we're about 40 minutes in. And again, I want to keep them about 30, 35 to 45 minutes. I don't want them to get too long. I want you guys to absorb this information and be able to apply it in the quizzes. So those following along in the online ground school, go through the lessons so you see the visuals. You see the visuals that we talked about of all these things. And then you can take the quiz and reinforce your knowledge before we move on. All right, so in next week's episode, that'll be episode number 20, I believe. Yeah, yep. We will get to lesson seven of section five of the online ground school, and lesson seven is dew point. And then lesson eight will be clouds. I'm guessing we'll get through probably both of those. Um, I'm just going to say that because I, I think I'm a little more ambitious and I'm always saying three or four lessons, but we usually only get through about two. So we'll definitely get through dew point, which we've talked about here a few times. So now we'll get a good understanding of what that is. And then we'll talk about clouds. We sort of, you know, we talked about how fog forms and fog is just low level clouds. So now we'll apply that to higher altitudes and tell you what you need to know about those clouds. All right, guys. Well, thank you, guys and gals, I should say. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for listening to the Audio Ground School podcast, and I'll catch you guys next week. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know 
bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you want to avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule and guess what it works we've had over 350 student pilots come through take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing that's right a single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride so that is just proof in the pudding right there 
that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.